As I was preparing the message today, I came across the story of Giochini Rossini. That was my best Italian accent, folks. Okay? Uh, the composer, the Italian composer, best known for the opera The Barber of Seville. Anybody? Okay, how about the William Tell Overture? Okay, I got more people on that one, right? Well, Rossini, according to the story, probably more like legend, Rossini was presented uh, with a watch from the King of France. Now, several years after receiving this watch, while he was showing it off to a friend, hey, look at the watch the king gave me, right? Uh, the friend looked at the watch, and he said to Rossini, Rossini, I do not think you know the value of this watch. Rossini disagreed. He, he said, he claimed that it was valuable for the simple fact alone that the king of France himself had given it to Rossini. The friend said, that is not why it is so valuable. He took the watch and he proceeded to open up the, the case with a little spring in the back. He opened this watch up and to Rossini's amazement, there located in the inner casing of the watch was a beautiful miniature painting of Rossini himself. Now over the past, I don't know if that's true folks or not. It might be a legend, but it's cute, right? It's a cool story. Now, over the past three weeks, as we've been unpacking Paul's letter to the Galatians, can you believe we're four weeks into Galatians? Uh, and we're getting through chapter two today. Hey, friends, we're going faster than we did with Mark. Can I get an amen on that, please? Uh, as we've been unpacking this letter of Paul to the churches in the region of Galatia in the Roman Empire, we've discovered that central to our lives is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The fact that salvation is found in believing in Jesus Christ and nothing else. Jesus Christ plus nothing is the gospel, is salvation. Friend, this is a liberating message for us. It liberates us from the burden of trying to please God enough to get Him to like us, to get Him to love us, to get Him to save us. You don't have to please an angry despot. Because the good news of Jesus Christ is that God chose to love you. Chose to love you before you could do anything that was lovable. And he chose to give us his son, Jesus. Now, as we've already seen through our walk through the gospel uh, of, the, of the book of Galatians, we see that the gospel is necessary foundation of faith. You must believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on your behalf. That he did what you could never do. Not only is it the foundation of faith, but it's the vehicle that God uses to transform you into the person that he desires for you to be. God wants to make something of your life, something that is beautiful. He wants to recreate in you something new. The other thing that we saw last week is that God uses the gospel to help us see the world the way in which he sees it. To see it, as it were, through the lenses of God. If you were to, t you know, if you were to give you a prescription, you know, God glasses, right? Uh, the gospel is the, the glasses, the lenses with which we view our world. Now, friends, I want to go on record and say this. It matters very much how you live your life. Okay? It matters very much 
the actions you choose to take, the words that you use, the thoughts that you allow yourself to think. But those things, the things that you say, the things that you do, the things that you think, those things, those things are worthless unless God does something inside of you first. Unless God does a spiritual work inside of your heart. Salvation is first and foremost, friends, an inside job. And its value is found in what Christ does on the inside to you and in you. Now, for years, Rossini had this watch, right, that he thought was extremely valuable because the king of France gave it to him. And friends, there's a lot of people that find their value in their faith in God, but then they never live their lives differently for Him. They never allow God to do something in them, to do something to them. And they miss out on the true value of the gospel, and that is an inner transformation of your life. Now, I think one of the benefits of the gospel, one of the benefits that I think that it's easy for us to overlook because, honestly... We have this habit of slipping back into old ways of thinking, into old patterns of living, right? Into old ways of thinking, even. One of the benefits I believe that the gospel affords to us, and it's going to be our focus today, is the confidence that it gives to those who have received salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone, that one day you'll be able to stand before God not as a condemned sinner, but as a justified saint. Friends, the confidence that the gospel gives you in, is in your position to stand before an almighty, perfect God who's holy and blameless and to not cower in fear, to not feel condemnation, but to be a justified saint. Is that good news? Okay, thank you, Tim. I know you believe that. That's good news, friends. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to discover that our position before God, that is your ability to stand in His presence as one of His kids, is given to you through your faith in Jesus Christ alone and not in anything that you could do on behalf of God. So would you please stand, as is our custom and our way of honoring God's Word, and follow along as I read Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. Paul continues to say, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, real quick, before I move on, understand this, that he's writing to Gentiles. Okay? So instantly, this is an us and them sort of statement. And he's saying, we, not you, who I'm writing to, but we, Peter, James, John, and myself, okay? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. 
friends, I imagine as Paul's writing this, he's like, oh, that's such a relief for me being a Jew. <laughs> you Gentiles have something that we Jews have been longing for for hundreds, thousands of years. Verse 17, if we, excuse me, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Friends, this is God's word given to you through the Apostle Paul. You may be seated. Friends, you have to keep in mind that in Genesis, or excuse me, in Galatians chapter 1 and in the first part of chapter 2, Paul defends the fact that he's a Jew. He would say that he's a Jew of Jews. And in here he's saying that being Jewish doesn't get him to heaven, doesn't get him saved. And we'll unpack that in a little bit, but you have to understand that a Jew is writing to Gentiles. And he's saying there's something about a faith of the Gentiles that is applicable to all and that, that everyone needs to learn from. Now, Paul's going to transition. This is a transitionary section in our text. He's going to transition from his biography and the defense of his apostleship to now talking about theology and what it looks like when you live out this theology of the gospel. What it means to live by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Because friends, as I said, it's not simply that you believe and live life however you want but that you, live life, that you believe and you live life how Christ wants. And he's going to unpack that now for us. Buckle up, friends. It's going to be a good ride, okay? Now, let's be honest. We are a lot like the Galatians in that we have this need to be regularly reminded of the core teachings of our own faith. Do we not? How many of you are who, who can sympathize with me and say that you forget things? Right? How many of you can say that you have mastered the Scriptures? Not even Paul could say that. Paul would say he tried, he failed, he needs to be mastered by the Scriptures instead of mastering them. Friends, we live in a world that floods us with all manner of distractions, right? I was just thinking the other day while I was in the mall, I saw an old uh, St. Louis Rams, or uh, excuse me, Los Angeles Rams game. I don't know who they were playing. I was like, ooh. It's almost NFL time. And I was like, i got to be careful. That's a distraction for me, right? We feel we're all, there's all manner of distractions. It's easy for us to lose focus on what we believe or what we should believe and then how we should live that out in our lives. Now, before we unpack a couple of principles of, I, I believe that, of how the gospel gives us the confidence in our position before God, we need to take a closer look at a very important word, a very important core tenet of the Christian faith, and that is the word justification. Can you say justification? justification. 
Okay, friends, this is something that takes place spiritually whether you recognized it or not, okay? And it's a very big deal, okay? Now, the word justification is a legal term that Paul borrows from the legal system of his day. And it's actually a very useful term to describe what takes place spiritually between you and God the moment you said yes to Jesus. See, it describes what happens inside a person spiritually. To justify or to be justified is to be declared not guilty. It's to be declared innocent. It's to be declared righteous. In the Bible, justification describes God's grace to people who do not deserve it. It's the giving of His mercy that is not getting the things you rightfully deserve. And it's His grace getting the things you rightfully don't deserve. The testimony of the Bible is this, that all people stand before God at a point in their life condemned. Is anybody good? No, not one. Scriptures tell us. The phrase... Why do bad things happen to good people is a lie. Because there's no such thing as a good person. Rather, we should say, why do good things happen to bad people? Because of God's grace. Because of God's grace. For those who believe in Jesus Christ through faith, His righteousness is credited to them. It's not because of anything that they've done, but it's because when you stand before God, He sees Jesus in you. And in fact, I have this theory that Jesus stands beside you, and, you, and God says, why should I let you in heaven? Because He said so. <laughs> All right? It's His righteousness credited to you. It's His holiness given to you. It's His declaration of being perfect. Now, some of you may have heard this phrase describing justification as just as if I'd never sinned, right? Sounds kind of cute, right? Justification, just as if I'd get it to be justified. That's cute, right? Um, friends, let me tell you, um, while that may be a helpful term, and it's, a, it's, a, it's close. It's like 99.5% it's like there, okay? I, I think there's a little bit deeper sense to this because if it's just as if I'd never sinned, all it does is get me to a state of innocence where I have the capacity to fall away from faith again. Friends, it's not only that you're restored to a state of innocence, but it includes Christ's sacrifice and character being applied to you. Justification is God making a sinner right with himself. Not only pardoning or acquitting him, but accepting him as perfect. It's not just a pardon or an acquittal, friends. But it's saying that you get to stand before me face to face because of Jesus Christ and nothing else. So now that we have this better understanding of justification, there's two principles of the gospel that Paul unfolds that help us to be confident in our position before a holy God. In other words, two principles that can help you to stop freaking out 
that somehow God is going to reject you or change his mind about you. That somehow he's going to say, oh, sorry. Change my mind, Steve. I saw what you did the other day. Wow. Uh, no, it gives us a confidence that we will be able to stand before him face to face. How many of you have ever desired to see God face to face? That's one of my greatest desires. So, for those of you that are taking notes, write this down. The first principle is this. You cannot be physically born. You cannot be born physically into the kingdom of God. Okay? You're born as a sinner in a sinful world. Now, one of the core aspects of Judaism is this idea that they were God's chosen people. And if, we all, if all we had to go off of was the Old Testament, we would see that God does something special with the Hebrews, with the Jews. And we might come to the same conclusion that, wow, man, God really likes the Jews. He's really gracious towards the Jews. And uh, I wouldn't want to be a Philistine, that's for sure. See what happens to them. I wouldn't want to be an Edomite. Don't want to be a part of them, and so on and so forth. I, I think being a Jew might be a really good thing. Now, while God did choose the people of Israel to distinctively make himself known to our world, it was never meant to solely be a Jewish faith. The way that the Jews, though, interpreted their God choosing of them was that they made any foreigner, okay, which is every one of us in this room, that who wanted to become a part of God's special people, right? So you could become part of God's chosen people if you're a foreigner, but you had to become in every way a Jew. You had to observe not just the law of Moses, but the tradition of the elders. That is the way they interpreted the law of Moses. You had to obey the dietary laws, and you had to obey the ceremonial laws. Now, when God chose to use Abraham to create for himself a people to represent him on the earth, it was always to draw the rest of humanity to God. And it wasn't because of anything inherently special about Abraham. It wasn't that Abraham was a good guy and God chose to use Abraham because he was a good guy. It was because God chose Abraham. And when God said to Abraham, leave everything and go to a place I will show you. Where are we going? I'll tell you along the way. Abraham didn't say, oh, hey, wait a moment, God. He said, okay, I will go where you send me. Abraham responded in faith. It has always been about faith, friends. Paul, in verses 15 to 16, makes the argument that it does not matter whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. He would say, us Jews, we've been trying. We have been trying to be good enough for thousands of years. And we haven't figured it out. So instead of trying to see if you Gentiles can do it any better, we're going to do this thing called faith. We're going to come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, friends, we would like to think that we know better than the Jews. But, friends, there's something about us in our Western Christianity, in our American mindset, where we think, whether we actually know it or not, that we're better than everybody else. Friends, I know that when I used to go on mission trips to Mexico, I would think that my theological understanding was somehow superior to theirs. When I went on a mission trip to Thailand and I was teaching Thai pastors how to be better pastors, part of me that I had to suppress was this arrogance that I'm going to Bible college in America. 
I got God figured out. God was like, yeah, right, buddy. Right? Somehow we get this idea that we're better. That we're better. Simply because we're born in the West. Now, do not mistake what I am saying. Please, I am not anti-American. I mean, I'm the... I'm the last one in this room you can say that about, right, friends? You all know. And friends, let me tell you, it is an extreme blessing to be born in this country. With all of our flaws and our failures, there's still not a better country that I can find on the face of this planet to be a part of. So that's not what I'm saying. But there's this misunderstanding amongst many people who call themselves in Christian that they are simply saved because they were born in Christian America. Or that somehow God overlooks things in them because of who they are married to or because of who's their mom and dad. Now, I know a lot, number of you, and you're pretty much saints, okay? That if the Pope knew you, you'd just have sainthood. Don't even have to die and you'd be like beatified, whatever they call it. You are saints. Ruby, I'm looking at you, sister. And it's now on record because it's recorded. Okay? But no matter how much Ruby is awesome and is a saint... And is like next to Mother Teresa in the line of sainthood. Mike cannot, cannot rely on her position before God to get him into heaven. He cannot hitchhike on her faith. You, well, you can, but you can't lean on her faith. It has to be your own. And as much as I love Judah, and as much as I love Olivia, and as much as they are experience some blessings by living in a Christian home with Christian parents. And as, as much as there's some protections that are provided simply because Heather and I believe in Jesus Christ, they have to come to their own faith in Jesus Christ. And thanks be to God, they're singing worship songs in the back of our car yesterday, and I know they love Jesus. And so no matter what happens, I know at this point in time, I'm confident in their position before Christ. They have to continue in that as they grow up. Friends, you cannot be born into the kingdom of God physically. And Jesus even had this conversation with Nicodemus, a religious leader. He said to this religious leader, unless you are born again, that is born spiritually, you will not, cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Period. The born again experience, though, comes through a confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of the frustrations that Paul's opposers had with him was that he was allowing Gentiles to keep some of their customs, especially the ones that violated the dietary and ceremonial laws of the Jews, and they insisted that they become Jewish in their lifestyle. But Paul's main argument that was, that was this, that no one, no Jew, except Christ, was able to perfectly keep the law. And because no one has perfectly kept the law, everyone is a lawbreaker. And the only remedy for that was for Christ to live the life that they could not live so they could get the life they could not earn. Justification is not found in living a perfect life, friends, but in confessing faith in the only one who lived perfectly. Justification by any other means is not faith in Christ. It's deceptive at best, destructive at worst. You must be spiritually reborn into the family of God and have God declare you righteous because of Jesus Christ. The second principle that I see for those of you taking this down, write this down, is you cannot buy your way into the kingdom of God or be kept there by good works. 
Some of you come to faith in Jesus Christ, grace through faith, right? You're like, I'm a sinner, save me. But then you live like you have to, like, please God. You, you live like you have to keep God happy. And you say prayers that are bargains to God. God, if you do this in my life, then I will do this for you. That's not justification, friends. Stop it. Some of you think that you are so cool. You've got money. You've got talent. You've got time. You've got... Look at how much you serve at Glenfair Family Church. You're there all the time. And you think that somehow that keeps you in God's kingdom or that somehow God loves you more because you're doing all of those things. No, 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 no. That's not justification. That's not justification at all. That's a works righteousness. If it costs you nothing to get it, it costs you nothing to keep it. Do not mistake me. You can't live however you want. Because Paul would say, and this is what the, the people were arguing, is you say it's grace through faith. That just gives people permission to go live in sin. It's, it's, you remember that phrase, my first supervisor in the military, who said he loved being Catholic because he got to sin like a devil six days of the week and become a saint on Sundays. Friends, you cannot do that. James, the brother of Jesus, says you cannot take the grace of God and use it as a license for immorality. You cannot abuse the grace of God. If you do, you truly do not understand salvation. You truly do not understand what Christ has done for you. Paul would say, when I came to faith in Christ, I died that day, and Christ came alive in me. So if I'm justified, if I'm saved by grace through faith, and I keep on sinning, it's not Jesus, it's me. I'm to blame. Not Christ. Friends, there's this story that Billy Graham uh, used to explain, I think, this concept of justification and the grace that he found in Jesus Christ. He tells of this story of how he was driving in a southern town one day. And, uh, and as he was driving, he gets pulled over by a cop because he was speeding. He's gone like 10 miles or so over the this, this speed limit, which nowadays is like normal, right? But he was driving, he got pulled over, and the cop wrote him a ticket. Uh, and, and said, you have to go to court. And Billy Graham was just, he was just, he was embarrassed, right? He's like, man, I can't believe I did that. Not that he got caught, but that he, that he broke the law, right? So, so he goes before the judge, who happened to be also the town barber. You know, it's one of those towns, right? Uh, uh, and it might have even been in the barber shop. Uh, I, I can't quite remember. But he goes, to the, he goes to the judge, and the judge says, hey, the cop says you... We're breaking the speed limit, guilty or not guilty. And Billy Graham says, I'm guilty. He's like, okay, well, the fine is $1 for every mile you went over the speed limit. You can tell how far back this story probably happened. <laughs> Early in his evangelistic days, right? Fines have increased quite a bit since then. And he says that the fine must be paid. And Billy Graham was like, I, I, I get that, Okay. So just as Billy Graham was going to pay the fine, the judge pulls out his wallet, takes a $10 bill out, puts it with the ticket, and says, but I'm going to pay it on your behalf. Paid in full. You want to go out to a steak dinner? And he goes and takes him out to a steak dinner. Now, friends, that is what happens when a sinner repents and God gives him his grace. 
But do you suppose that Billy Graham, after receiving that grace, is like, Woohoo! I can go however fast I want. I'm friends with the judge. Right? And do you think if he were to do that, if that were his mindset, man, I get to break the law and speed? Yes. That when he gets pulled over, he would say to the cop, hey, it's all good. No worries, bro. The judge paid my fine. It's all right. I can do whatever I want. Do you think he would actually live that way? This is Billy Graham, right? He's like third in line. It's, it's Mother Teresa, Ruby, Billy Graham, right? <laughs> There's no way he would ever do that. That would, be, that would be like spinning in the face of the judge, right? And Paul makes that same argument. You cannot be saved by Christ and then go sin and say it's okay because you have Jesus. That is unthinkable. That is unthinkable. But friends, your justification is not dependent upon anything you can do. It is a declaration by God Himself because of His Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, you cannot, you cannot buy your way into the kingdom of heaven and you can't bribe God enough to stay there. You can't do any of that. Sandy, we're going to skip that quote. As we're beginning to land this thing called justification by grace through faith, it's pointing us to, I think, the big idea of Paul's letter and our key takeaway for today. So if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, try to memorize it. If you can't memorize it, go back and listen to the podcast because, oh, by the way, we have a podcast. You can go to the Apple Store and, and listen to it there. But write this down, memorize this. Your position before God is found in your confession of faith in Christ. So what happens when you blow it? Confess! <laughs> Repent! And move forward. What happens if you mess up again? Confess! Repent! And move forward. What happens if you mess up again? Confess! Repent! And move forward. Now, if you're finding yourself doing this maybe a hundred times on the same thing, you need some help. It's probably an addiction. Or you're worshiping something else. Or maybe it's because you're using Jesus Christ as a license to get away with sin. Maybe that's how you've been thinking of Jesus. Jesus is simply more than a get-out-of-hell-free card, friends. You are on shaky ground. You have no confidence if that's what you're banking on. That you get to live like a devil six days of the week and be a saint one day when you confess. I wouldn't—don't live that way, friends. Because that's not what Jesus says in the Scriptures, and that's not what Paul is going to tell us through the rest of Galatians. He's going to talk about works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to get into that. And that true justification results in a transformation in your life. But friends, sometimes we still have habits and hang-ups. Even though we've killed the old person, man, there's something in us that tries to resuscitate that thing, Right? And there's memories in our flesh and in our minds that need to be worked through and healed and rewired. And thankfully, the body and the brain are much more pliable than we once thought. And so friends, if you're finding that you're continuing to live the lifestyle, get help, get help, get help. If you don't know, come talk to me. We will go get you help, the help that you need. 
There are wonderful Christian counselors who understand how God has wired the brain and the heart and can help. There's wonderful addiction counselors that understand how alcohol and drugs and pornography have wreaked havoc in your mind and in your body. And if that's you, come talk to me. Email me, call me, Facebook me, whatever. We will help you find the help that you need to get through those things. But whether it's a habit or a hang-up on an addiction, or whether it's the occasional slip-up, it does not matter. You do the same thing. Confess, repent, and move forward. Confess, repent, and move forward. Keep the confession of your faith because that is where your justification lies. And as long as you maintain that faith in Jesus Christ, then you have the confidence that when it's your turn to go and meet God face to face, you don't have to cower in fear, but you can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in my happiness. Because it's Jesus in you and Jesus next to you that's going to get you there. Amen? Friends, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that, God, there's nothing I can do to earn your love, but you chose to love. Not only me, but everybody on the face of this planet, even, even when we are sinners. Even when, while we were your enemies, you still loved us because you choose to love us not because there's anything inherently special or cool or awesome about who we are. And so, God, we are declared righteous. We're declared holy by faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And then you take it another step further and say that you want to do awesome things in us and you want to do awesome things through us and you want to use us to impact our world. And I am still baffled by that. Why you choose me, I am such a loser, God. God, you know my innermost being. You know my thoughts. You know the things that I think I keep hidden in secret. None of that is secret to you. And even still, I get to come and find grace and mercy through confession and repentance. And I say thank you. God, if there's anybody here who's holding on to something, I pray they would confess and repent and move forward in you. I pray if there's anybody here who is looked at their faith in you as a license to do whatever the hell, which really is what it is, is participating in the things of hell that they want to do, that they would be convicted today that that's not the type of faith or justification you came to provide. But you came so that we might die to our old sinful way of living and come alive and live a holy life through your son, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living in us and through us. And so, Jesus, I pray that we would experience true liberation and freedom that is found in that declaration that we are made holy because of Jesus. And by being confident in that declaration, it changes the way we live our lives. And so I pray that if there's someone here who needs to confess, that they would do so right now, even at the sound of my voice, they would confess and they would repent and that starting today, when they leave this place, they would do things differently. That they would reach out for help if they can't do it themselves. And that we would see people's lives being radically changed because of what your son is doing in them. And God, for those of us who get to see it, we say yes and amen, and we thank you for doing it 
in our lives too. And all God's people said, Amen.